Welcome to Tim Stodds FM, where each week we discuss new ideas and tactics to help you succeed in business, relationships, and life. And now your host, Tim Stoddard. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Tim Stoddart. Welcome to the Tim Stodds podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. My guest today is Steph Smith. Steph is a writer, a traveler, and currently is leading the team at Trends. Trends is the product associated with The Hustle. And most of you may know The Hustle from their insanely popular daily newsletter, Recently, Steph published an epic guide and resource for people who want to improve their writing skills and create written content for the internet. The guide, entitled Doing Content Right, has sold more than 1,500 copies and has earned Steph over $40,000 in the first few months of sale. I've read it, and it's a masterful piece of work. In our podcast, Steph and I spoke about the art of writing, what it means to work in public, as well as her past experiences as a chemical engineer and how her journey of traveling the world eventually brought her to the team lead at Trends. Steph has mountains of wisdom to share, and she shares it with grace. I loved our conversation. I know you will too. Please help me welcome Steph Smith. All right, let's rock and roll, Steph. Thank you so much for joining me on my show. I am a you always say this, like, I'm excited to talk to you, but I've really, really been looking forward to having this conversation. I'm a big fan of your work. And so it's, it's really good to have you on here. Thanks so much, Tim. Great to be here. You seem, at least the research I have, you've been very public with your journey. You're very public with your thoughts and your ideas on your blog. And, and we're going to talk about that. But I always like to start off my interviews and especially in your case, just because it seems like your journey has been like really cool and really fun. How did you get here, which is in such a really cool prestigious position, building like such a cool name for yourself? Tell me about the catalyst to get you to get you here. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, just yes, in my adult life, did a degree in chemical engineering, decided that wasn't the path I wanted to go, ended up in consulting in Toronto, which is where I grew up. That was really like an inflection point because I was working in Toronto, like commuting classic story where I'm like, there must be a better way. And that's when I looked for a remote job. And that was really like a huge inflection point for me where I was like, oh, I can actually like craft my life, not just in terms of like where I work, but like how I work, what I choose to work on. And like this path that I thought was like very defined for me doesn't have to be. So then I went remote. I've been kind of digital nomading for a while until, of course, hashtag COVID um, as of late. (laughs) But um, yeah, I I had been working remotely all around the world. And for most of that was at a company called TopTal and working on the growth team and then led their publications team. And that was really my exposure to like this world of online content and like the power of the written word and all that. Um, And so around the time or during my time at TopTal, I also launched my own blog um, and also learned to code, which is where I started kind of tinkering with my own projects and um, just creating things. And as you said, kind of sharing it online, allowing people to kind of be part of that journey. And then uh, around a year ago, I joined a company called The Hustle. People might recognize them for their daily email, um, but I work on their trends product. Uh, But again, still kind of tinkering with stuff. And then as I guess you came to know me this year, just a couple months ago, started working on a book about writing content online because throughout my experiences, both at TopTal, at The Hustle, and then with my own work, I was like, wow, there's so much out there that 
is either misleading or maybe, you know, written by someone who doesn't have that much experience. And I was like, I've actually built up a pretty, you know, or a wealth of knowledge from these experiences. And so I ended up writing this book, which has been my, my latest project. Yeah. Well, amazing. You basically talked about all the things that I plan to talk about. So let's dissect them one by one. When I mentioned your journey and your background, I think it's fascinating that you are such a creative person that came from what can traditionally be known as like the opposite side of your brain, right? Like you've got an engineering degree. So how do you get from one side to the other? And especially the part that I want to know personally is that's a hell of a degree to have. And you have a pretty good career trajectory like laid out in front of you right so why did you spend all that time decide fuck it it's a sunk cost let me go travel the world on my laptop and like (laughs) you know be a writer (laughs) like how does that happen right yeah I mean I I wouldn't say it was like one specific juncture but there was a couple where for example I yeah I did my degree in chemical engineering at that time it was more so like if you do that degree you're kind of outlets are either you work in oil and gas or you work in like some sort of chemical plant and neither of those sounded really interesting to me and in fact I I guess one other path is academia but I had done four summers of research in these like labs anything from like asphalt research to a literal like forensic lab um, to battery research I had done all these things like kind of being like is academia for me and I just decided like okay all of the like three paths that you can go from with a chemical engineering degree, I was like, none of this really sounds interesting to me. So at that point, I was still super like convinced that I need a good career. I need to like at least be making money. I need to have some sort of path that you know leads me in the right direction. So that's why I went into consulting. That's in Canada at least. A lot of uh, consulting companies are willing to hire engineers because they just think they're like smart and problem solve and all this stuff. So I was like, okay, great, I'll do consulting. Um, <laughs> But then there was like kind of another point in time where I had started to hear about all these people who like were actually advancing their careers and were making lots of money and weren't on this path. Um, and a friend of mine at that time had sent me remote year, which I guess most people know now, but at that time, this was in 2015, I was like, whoa, what? Like a lot of people are like not trading off their careers, but have this freedom. And so that was another kind of juncture where it was like, oh, okay, like there's other things. And then since then, it's really just been a matter of realizing that I can just follow all my curiosities and people's careers can be successful, even if they're not on like a super defined path, which mine certainly (laughs) has not been. Um, But I've also been really lucky to have like jobs that I really enjoy. So for example, both my time at Choptal and my time so far at The Hustle have been amazing. And those have been really helpful. I have an article that's basically called, you don't need to quit your job to make, which is all about this concept that because I have this financial stability, which comes from my job job, that allows me to just do whatever I want to do with these other projects, right? So I'm not kind of constrained with like, oh, I'm making no money. And so let me just find whatever I think will make money. I'm like, oh, I find this really interesting. I'm going to go create like a directory of untranslatable words or like, oh, I I probably will never become a developer, but I'm going to learn to code so that because I find this interesting and I want to like tinker around with stuff. So at least as of late, it's been amazing to have that financial stability and then just have all this time where I can like creatively pursue whatever makes me curious. Yeah. Let me stay on this topic a little bit because I so appreciate when somehow we convinced ourselves that in order to be an entrepreneur, you need to like quit your job and you need to be selling lemonade when you're like five years old. And like, (laughs) I don't know how that happened. If you have a job, 
stay safe, stay stable so that the work that you do on the side doesn't have to succeed. Because there's nothing worse for creative projects than when like you're forced to succeed. You got no other choice. So I agree totally. And I'm glad that you also have that advice because in, in my view, there's the things that I've done that have worked well have always come not from, like I said, like the pressure of like, this has to work or else I'm screwed. And I always just appreciate having that freedom. Yeah. And there's so many good examples. So if you ever read the book uh, originals by Adam Grant, he talks about this and there's so many examples of big companies that you know today where um, everyone thinks that these super successful entrepreneurs, like you said, quit and like, you know, win all in, you know, Mm -hmm. dropped out of university. And like, there are examples of that, of course, but there's also many examples counter to that. So the founders of Google, like they finished their PhDs before you know, they went all into Google, like they could have dropped out, but they didn't. The founder of Spanx was like, I think she was selling like fax machines. There was, yeah, she was. Um, who else? the founders of like Far- Warby Parker, like they were working full-time jobs for a long time before they realized that Warby Parker had enough kind of revenue that was consistent for them to like, with their, you know, minds clear to quit their jobs. And so there's so many examples where you don't need to quit your job to go all in. Um, it's actually, I think, there's not always like the right or wrong, but in many cases it's better because you can go into your projects with a clear mind. You can iterate a bunch before going all in. And I think that's what I've done. And it's been really enjoyable uh, versus this kind of like do or die situation that some people put themselves in. Yeah, agree totally. So the name of that blog post, and it was a perfect transition was you don't have to quit your job to make, right? And uh, mm-hmm. In the last couple of months, obviously, you've, your work has been shared a lot, and I'm sure you've gained like a lot of Twitter followers, but I actually discovered you probably a year ago in an article that you wrote, to be yeah. great, be good repeatedly, right? I think, I'm almost positive that's yeah. it. That's a topic that people have talked about a lot, right? And James Clear kind of made that whole thing pretty popular, like habits and like daily repetition, but I find it's an easy writing subject for people to kind of go like woo woo on as opposed to the route that you took in your article where you actually broke it down like really really practically and I remember the article the line in that article and it was a long article so I won't remember all of it but there was a line in it that really stuck with me where you said consistency is hard and like what a cool fucking thing to say because isn't that always it like no it's about doing the work it's about doing the work but one thing that people forget there is it's not about working for 20 hours and not sleeping for like two weeks. It's about doing it for like years when no one's watching and it's, you know, Friday afternoon and nobody cares what you're doing, but you still kind of do it anyway. And just the fact that you said consistency is hard. I loved that. And I appreciate it so much. Thank you. And I think, you know, we, I just gave a bunch of examples of companies that Um, did stuff before they went all in the same is true for this like consistency idea where the media trains us to believe that like oh this company raised money and so because I hadn't heard of them yesterday and I've heard of them today it feels like an overnight success or again like some company blows up on the media um, but really they've been like slaving away at this thing for like five ten years whatever it is and so we train ourselves to you know for better or for worse, mostly I think in this case for worse, to think that this stuff happens overnight. So then when stuff doesn't happen overnight to us, we're like, what the hell? Like, what Like, what am I doing? Is it, Am I going anywhere? And really in most cases, like if you really dig into any successful entrepreneur and you dig into their past, it's like so many, so many iterations um, and things going on behind the scenes before people are listening 
Um, and so really like that consistency of just like continuing to show up is the hardest part. And that's what differentiates people. For sure. I always, I've been writing about it recently and I won't go too much on a story, but uh, I used to be a long distance runner and I can't anymore because I had back surgery. And so I started mm -hmm. rowing instead, but there's a, a part of me that knows that I need to keep that in my life because there's just something about that stamina that keeps me in my head. It's like, I might not be the biggest or the smartest or the strongest, but like, I just know that if we go up on a rowing machine, like I'll just keep going one stroke at a time when everybody else is like, I'm fucking sick of doing this. It's uh, right. it's, it's one of the things that I like really admire about people is just stamina and consistency. Yeah, and it's not something that we really focus on enough, right? When you think about founders, right, that, you know, you're like, oh, man, I really want to be like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. Well, guess what? They were extremely consistent over time. But it's interesting that that's not the trait that people um, tend to admire. They're yeah. always like, oh, like Elon's so prolific, right? Or <laughs> he's like, you know, he's crazy. I love how unpredictable he is. And it's like, well, actually, you know what Elon got Elon to where he is, is that he's been working at this thing. And he was working on it before anyone was listening for so many years. And the same thing with Bezos. If you read Bezos's memos, right? He, you know, just like many other founders, yeah, he writes like these memos and he's right been, exactly to yeah. investors. He's been writing them for decades. And if you go back to even his first memos, they're not so different to the memos today. There's this underlying consistency in Bezos's vision. And it's just interesting because we never, like when we think about who we admire, it's always for these strange traits that like, in reality, one of the traits that we should respect in people the most is like their integrity, their ability to stay consistent, to do things over time that, you know, again, like they've been doing for many, many years. Um, and I'm not sure why that's not really like part of our vocabulary when we admire people, but I think it's something that we should admire more in people over time because what we admire is like what we become, right? Um, and so I think we should actually have less founders striving to be like prolific and <laughs> crazy and stuff like this and more just being like, oh, actually Bezos and, and um, Elon were actually extremely consistent. That is the trait that I should try to like emulate within these, you know, amazing founders. So those are the things that you admire? I mean, I try to, right? Again, I think it's kind of counterintuitive because we, yeah. we can't see the consistency that's the problem right like when you think about founders you only see what's in the news you only see their earnings reports right but you don't see what's going on behind the scenes but i try to remind myself the reason i wrote this article in the first place is that i had to remind myself that everything that you see online is just like one sliver of reality and so you have to consistently remind yourself that there is so much missing from that equation of success that you don't see so you have to just like tell yourself oh like wh what are the actual things that are happening behind the scenes that are making these people successful. And if you really break that down, if you really study these businesses, if you read these biographies, then yeah, consistency, integrity, things like that are themes throughout. And so you have to remind yourself that that's what you should be admiring in people, not these other kind of like pseudo indicators that you see online. Mm. Yeah, really interesting. I'm going to think about that for a little longer, see how I mean, who am I? I'm just one person, but like, how can you bring something like that into the public lexicon? Lexicon, And uh, there's got to be something to that. There's got to be a way where, what is it about us that wants to believe that it was so easy, that this person was such a visionary, that this person just walked into luck or it was all good timing? Why is it that the first thing that we think of, even without social media, right? Like what is yeah. it in our minds that wants that to be the case? 
I think it's just wishful thinking, right? Because yeah. if it's the case that um, there is like a lottery that you can win, then that's pretty, you know, that's pretty compelling. Like that, oh, maybe if I just do the right things and put myself in the right places, like I'll just get really lucky and someone will discover me, right? And again, it's wishful thinking. I see many people who act this way where like, I just need my big break. Little do they know that, yes, some people get a break and it's, you know, there is this overnight success, but it's so rare. And so I talk about this in the article that your most like um, logical way to success, right? <laughs> your like best chance at success is this consistent effort. But that's not, that's not very reassuring to people, right? Because a lot of people want success, but they don't want to do what it takes to be successful. And so that's why they kind of default to this wishful thinking um, where they, they kind of almost like disregard the work that many people put in because they're like, oh, you know, they, they got a lucky break or like they were brought up more wealthy than I was. And those are fair to some degree, but I think a lot of people like um, kind of dismiss the responsibility that they have. If they want to be successful, then they need to put in the work to be successful and they shouldn't kind of rely on this hopeful or wishful thinking that they could maybe just like get a big break. Agree totally. I like everything that you said there. Okay, I want to talk about your work a little bit more specifically, especially uh, with your book. So bef- par- part of your book, and I like that you practice what you preached, right? Because you're a big believer in this build in public ethos. And this has been kind of a, a steady theme, especially with, within the last month or so. I had a Amanda Natividad on the show recently. She's the head of marketing for uh, Nat's agency um, for a growth machine. And she was talking about, actually, I think I was on her podcast and she was asked, talking about building public. And I caught myself being a little bit cynical. And I want to hear your opinion on this because sometimes I worry that this idea of building public is kind of gimmicky. It's like, hey, I sold a course. So let me take a screenshot of the course I sold and put it on Facebook so that you buy my course and then like you'll buy my course and then make another course about that and take a screenshot and like put it on Twitter. Right. And it's like like MLM, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's this like, it's just a gimmick. Whereas I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that you did it is you quite literally wrote your book in public and you did the work of it and went through the iterations and the process and the stumbling and the editing in front of people. And so I'm making a little bit of a statement as much as I'm trying to like open this, open this up for a conversation, but tell me what build in public means to you and how like you would properly um, execute on that. If if you have a piece of creative work you're trying to share. Yeah. So I've been building in public for the last couple of years and I totally agree that sometimes it can get gimmicky, especially in the way that some people do it. I like the analogy where it's basically that Um, you like imagine you're working in a garage, right? Like you're just opening the door so people Mm. can see what you're doing. So the difference between what I think like gimmicky building in public versus non-gimmicky is like what I try to do. And I certainly sometimes can be a little more gimmicky than I would, you know, would like to admit, but the idea and what I try to do at least most of the time is that everything that I do in the garage, I'd still be doing whether the door is open or not, right? Like I'm still going to write this book I'm still going to create these projects. And sometimes I share parts of that, right? Sometimes I share my sales. Sometimes I share my process. Sometimes I I use my Twitter to get feedback. Like with the book, I used it to say, hey, I'm thinking of doing this thing. Should I do this thing? So that's the way I like to think of how building in public can be done well, where you're just, you're opening the door. The way that I think that 
sometimes it gets taken too far is like that you start to do things that you wouldn't have done had that door not been open. So it's like the equivalent of like someone taking, you know, their, their workbench and like taking it outside of their garage and like getting a big pink sign that says, Hey, I'm building. And then like gets balloons and like firecrackers. And you know what I mean? (laughs) Where it's like, you're now investing in this attention machine. You're not actually investing in like creating value with the projects that you should be doing. So I try to, with everything that I'm building, only build things that I would build anyway. And then sometimes layer on this like idea of building in the open, but not actually going in like creating things that I wouldn't necessarily create or doing things that I wouldn't necessarily do had that garage door, you know, been closed. So that's the way I like to think about it. But of course, like sometimes it can get gimmicky, but in general, the other way that I like to think about it is as, as a second analogy is people say like, if you're, if your car breaks down, people are more likely to help you push your car if you're already pushing your car versus if you're sitting on the side of the road. And so it allows people to see what you're doing so they can like be part of your story. They can help you out. Um, and so that's another way I like to think of it. So that even like, for example, when I launched this book, by the time I launched the book, I either had a bunch of people already pushing the car with me or like who were ready to like jump in and help me push the car. So I think it can be really valuable. And I think if you do it well and you do it authentically, people want to help you, right? It, it comes across pretty clearly when people are being authentic with it or when they're getting, you know, the equivalent of like a big pink sign and balloons and stuff like that. That was such a good way to break it down that actually like solved pretty instantly an internal dilemma basically for me because I'm an SEO and all of my brands and all of my companies have grown kind of like you said, like behind closed doors, nobody sees the work that you do to rank websites. Mm -hmm. And then three years later, you know, you're getting tens of thousands of hits a day and everything's great and you got a great business, but there's no like face to it. You're not saying like, Hey, watch me SEO this website. Cause nobody cares about that. That doesn't make good, (laughs) you know, like social media content, you know, but I've, I've had this idea so much about what we spoke about in terms of, uh, people just go directly to products because you see all these screenshots of like your sales. And there's like a 22 year old kid thinking like, wow, all I got to do is make some course and publish it online and people will buy it. But nobody talks about the 10 years it took to actually build the skills to have knowledge exactly to digitize. And so a lot of the things I've been thinking is like, man, agency work. So my agency has been kind of the cornerstone of a lot of the media brands that we make because you have the, the human capital basically. And so that in my mind, I've been thinking this idea so much like, man, service work is still cool. And there's so much stuff going on where this kid that wants to be an entrepreneur uh, wants to work for his or herself and is seeing all of these amazing scalable SaaS products and digital products. And they just jump right to that where it's like, no, like really what you should do is start with an agency. You should start with service. You should start working with clients and just like, like you did the consulting work. Right. And so I've had this idea and I've been mulling around with it, but since I'm so used to just working behind the scenes to rank websites, every time I try to share something like that, I think like, oh man, this is fucking like, I'm a fraud. I'm a gimmick, right? I don't want to do this. And, and when you said that, just open the door. I swear I've had this internal dialogue for a while and it, it just kind of washed all that away. So like, seriously, thank you. No worries. And by the way, something I gave a presentation on this building the open idea recently, and I think 
people have the conception that like building in the open is sharing your revenue numbers, right? Or, or something like that, right? Which is part of that. It uh, doesn't need to be part of it even. There are so many ways to build in the open. To give a couple examples, like opening up your roadmap, that's building in the open, right? That has nothing to do with your success or non-success. That's just saying like, here's what I'm working on. Pre-selling is by nature building in the open because you're saying, I'm going to work on this. Like who's interested? I need some validation here, right? Some of the other things that I do that you could call building in the open are things like my blog, anytime that I learn something, right, which I would do anyway, like I would learn this in my garage, as an example, it would be anything from like figuring out how to connect Ghost and DigitalOcean, right, or I at one point wanted to know what the top medium publications were, or the best women in tech conferences, those all turn into articles that I end up sharing openly, like widely, but I was going to do those things anyway, right, so just taking, for example, if you're already doing a bunch of SEO work, you can just like you know, put this stuff online to help other people that in a way is building in the open as well. And so there's so many different ways to build in the open. It doesn't nece necessarily just have to be like, hey, everyone, here's my revenue numbers. Like this is how great I'm doing. To go back to the car analogy, um, no one can stop to help you push your car if your car never breaks down. And so this is a misconception of building the open is a lot of people think it's like all, all these like successes of like, hey, everyone check out my sales. But actually, bringing people in when you're not like quote unquote winning is when I think people are most likely or most apt to want to participate, right? Versus the people who are huge already, you don't see them building in the open because no one really wants to be part of just like a constant party, right? <laughs> like, yeah. like, look how great I'm doing. Uh, people want to help you when you need the help, right? And so that's why I actually encourage people to start building in the open before they're winning, right? Like I did, I, this book was a huge success for me, but before that I was making nothing from my projects, right? And that's when people were really kind of wanting to be part of that story, trying to help me push my car, trying to, you know, help me along my journey. Um, and so that's the way I see building in the open. It doesn't necessarily just have to be, hey, look at all my successes. Yeah. And thank you for bringing up your book. Thank you for that wisdom. I really mean that. That helped me. I meant to talk about your book a lot earlier. <laughs> just, it's totally fine. We don't need to talk about it at all if you don't want to. No, I want to because I think it's important. When we were speaking before we started recording, you know, like so much media is being created, who knows, like billions and billions of gigabytes a day. And not as much of it as before is just written word. It's just text on a page. Uh, I would say and I have said many times that it's still like the most useful skill, but out of all of these really cool, flashy, sexy ways to build content, like what has drawn you into this good old fashioned writing and storytelling? Um, I actually hated writing in school, at least the like, you know, classic form of, of how we learn writing, mm. because I think it's taught in a way where it's like you have one person judging your stuff and it's in a very particular templated way of like how to you know how to get an a plus and that's not necessarily aligned with a how everyone likes to read or write but b also like in terms of purely topics um you're writing about stuff you don't care about right like in in high school you're right you're given the topic versus now that i'm writing um, i get to write about again like my curiosities or what i'm passionate about or um, if I have something that I want to say, then it's, it's more so just a tool for me to say that thing to reach people with. Um, and so I actually hated writing for many years. And then luckily through me kind of 
running the publication team at TopTal got me back into like writing and editing and stuff like that and realized that like with a new mindset, it's, it's really just a tool and you can use that tool however you want. And so actually, as it compares to probably like trained reporters or trained writers, like my writing is probably not like from a technical standpoint, very good, but mm -hmm. my goal is really just to communicate my thoughts. And that's why when I started my own personal blog, I had thought of starting one for a while, but it was only when I really had this like really strong conviction to say certain things that I actually did it. Like one of my first articles that I published that ended up being pretty popular was just this, I, this it was called the guide to remote work that you don't, or that's not trying to sell you anything. Cause I had been working remotely for many years and had just found all this stuff online that was like junk and again trying to sell people some lifestyle or you know even some some actual like course that teaches you how to be a digital moment and I was like oh my god so that was an example of where I was like I just want to communicate something right this is a tool for me to communicate and so I that's where I started and then I think I learned more how to, in terms of like how to craft my writing better when I was actually at the hustle because Brad my boss he's like an excellent writer he's been a reporter for many, many years. So he's like a much better, you know, at least from a technical standpoint, writer than I. And so he taught me a lot there. But in general, I think you don't actually need to be an excellent writer. As you kind of use the term storytelling, like your job, at least within, if you're, you know, writing online is to convey a point, right? Or a story or, um, you know, teach someone something. In which case, like, it doesn't have to be, have perfect grammar doesn't need any of the things really that you were taught earlier on in your, you know, probably when you were younger learning English, you just need to, you know, learn to tell stories better. And I think in general, that comes from like, just doing it, right? Just like writing more online, um, seeing what resonates with people, reading more online too, right? So before I even started writing online, I went through a spurt where I actually like for many years didn't didn't read anything because I didn't really find like the type of book that resonated with me but then before publishing online I happened to go through a spurt of like a couple years where I was reading like crazy and I think that really helps right like you learn to you learn to recognize what resonates with you and therefore there's probably some mirroring there in terms of how you actually write and resonate with other people um, so that's that kind of answers your first question and then in terms of um, writing as a medium relative to other mediums I think it's just it's it's my favorite medium to use because even right now, as we're talking, we're, you're asking me questions and I have some sort of idea of my answer, mm. right? And I'm answering it on the spot. But imagine if I had three hours to actually think, like sit down and think, like, what do I actually think about this question? How do I want to respond to this? Is there any nuance? Am I just kind of spitballing things that like come to mind, but aren't actually like reflective of my actual opinion? I think a lot of the you know whether it's like tweeting or podcasts or a lot of these like quick mediums they are great for disseminating a lot of information but they're not necessarily great at disseminating like good solid thoughtful pieces and the reason that i think long form writing is so special is because most of the time uh, a long form article is the reflection or kind of compilation of like many 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 hours of thought from someone right? Like the how to be great article, that article was something that's like kind of sprouted in my head at some point, but then over several weeks, if not months was like me ruminating over this, me researching stuff. And so I just think the written word is I, in one of my articles, I say, it's like writing is thinking. It's like, it's just such a better medium, or at least in the way that it's used where it's, it's concentrated thought that people have kind of put together mind 
respectfully versus I think a lot of the other ways that we communicate with other humans is more in the moment, which has, you know, pros and cons either way. But in this case, it, it really is just like the best form of getting someone's, you know, really concentrated mindful thought, which is also why books in general are amazing, right? And timeless, right? Because it's like someone, has, someone, this is like their life's work, right? It's like all the things that they've learned, all the things that they've researched are packaged into this one thing that you can download versus again, it's not true if you're just asking someone like what they're thinking in that particular moment. I, I agree. I think this is, I think I relate with you a lot listening to you. I was, uh, you think really fast. I find myself thinking so fucking fast all the time yeah. and it's like exhausting. And um, when, you, you know, Sean, obviously I didn't even put that together. When, when uh, Sean Perry was on my site, it was the first time I said it out loud really. And, um, or on my podcast, excuse me. It was the first time I really said it out loud. And since then, I think I've said it a couple of times just because it was kind of liberating for me, but I had a real bad speech problem when I was a kid uh, with the letter R's. And it's why I wrote all the time. And like, I think back of it, I just, I brought a notebook with me everywhere and there's stacks of notebooks in the other room behind me. And it was just the first time I really had the ability to be like, this is what I'm thinking. And this is what I want to say. And just give me space to figure it out. And then all of a sudden it's like, here, here's like this perfect presentation of exactly what it is that needs to be said. And it's by me. And I think that, I think, and so that's why I think it's so valuable because it's not even necessarily that it has to be about content. Like if you're trying to write an email, right? Like I know for a fact that if there's something really important in my company that needs to be said, like nobody's writing the email, but me, because I'm just good at taking space to say what needs to be said in the best way possible in the shortest amount of words, you know, write in emails, write in just notes that I take uh, to get good at remembering things. It's, it's, what I'm saying is it's not even as a, a skill of marketing, although in this case, that's like the most lucrative way to make money from writing, but in all the different ways that being a good writer can benefit you as a person, like in your life and your career and your relationships, it's just so undervalued. Totally. It's a, it's, I think the, the way that people misunderstand writing is that they think of it as like a means to an end, but it's really, it's a tool, right? It's a tool for you to communicate with other humans and it's a, it, in the way that this tool is utilized, it allows you to, as you said, put thought into what you're actually trying to communicate versus the immediacy of other tools for communication are, don't really give you that space, right? And so to your point, like there's been so many times where I've like, you know, for example, done a presentation and I'm like, man, like I kind of said what I was trying to say, but like not really. And I <laughs> guess people can probably get what, you know, roughly my point but I feel really disappointed because I felt like I had you know something that I really wanted to articulate and I couldn't and writing gives you this amazing opportunity to take all the time that you need to get to the point where you feel like what you're trying to articulate is articulated exactly how you want to articulate it right with the nuance with the examples and I'm sure you've had similar experiences where you spend weeks or months on something and then finally you're like this is it. Like, yeah, this is exactly what I was trying to say. And that's when you release an article or whatever. But I think that's really special because again, I think a lot of nuance is lost in the immediacy of the conversations that people have. And I think if people really spent the time trying to really boil down what they're trying to say into the written word, which is difficult, but if they can yeah. do that, 
then we're actually communicating on a plane where it's much more thoughtful, much more mindful versus again, the like kind of super quick back and forth where no one actually takes a second to be like, oh, did I even mean that? Or did you mean that? Or what did you really mean when you were trying to say that? I, I don't think I've still done a podcast episode where I look back on it and I was like, wait, did I even say the fucking things that like I was trying to say? <laughs> and, uh, but, and the other thing about it is in this immediacy of like, oh, I got this thought on my head. Let me tweet this. Let me make a video about this and like a fucking selfie here. With writing, it's also a really great exercise in like restraint because to say what you want to say, you really have to hold back and it's like painful, you know? And it's like, oh, like this isn't quite it. And I don't know how I know it's not quite it. I just know that it's not quite it. And so to figure out like, what was it that uh, maybe Emerson said it? He's like, I, I say everything I need to say and then I take as much as I possibly can out. Or it's like, if I had more time, I wrote a, I would have wrote a shorter book you know, that kind of yeah, thing. So there's exactly. just that exercise of restraint that I find so painful, but also just like very freeing and liberating. Completely. That's the thing I struggle with the most. Like my articles slowly over time have been getting longer and I'm like, Steph, you got to rein it back. Like no one wants to read, you know, a 10,000 word article. Maybe they do, but I'm like, as you said, the best writers can condense their thoughts into the shortest possible form. And so that's actually like a great challenge to go and like, it's almost like a curve, right? Where you like start and you don't know what you're trying to say. And then you try to like manifest all the possible things that you're trying to say. And mm. then you got to take the time to like rein it in and remove all the fat. Um, and I'm, that's one part in particular that I'm trying to get better at. I know I'm pretty good at like taking a bunch of things and integrating them. I'm not as good at that second part you of reining that. that in. Yeah, you, you are really good at that. I mean, even the, the couple of articles that we referenced as I was reading it, I remember thinking each one of these could be its own topic, but you still manage to keep them underneath like an umbrella of an of a overtone of a theme. Um, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just noticed. No, that that's okay. Thank years. you. Let's wrap this thing up. You got your book done. Um, I haven't seen any of the presentations because I signed up for the book. I keep getting the emails and I'm sorry, I, I keep archiving no them. <laughs> There's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but so are you bringing people through the book, like chapter by chapter? Is that an additional service that you provide or is that just coming with it? Yeah, so it's, it's not one-on-one, -on -one, but yeah, it's within a group setting. I tried or I added these live sessions. And the reason for that was actually um, because I recognize like I work in content, I've seen all this stuff online. And I know that even if people spend 30 bucks on a book, they're not always gonna read it. And so I wanted to maximize the likelihood that someone would actually get value from whatever they were buying. And so I just said, you know what? Some people prefer to read, some people prefer to listen. And actually it was interesting. I wasn't sure exactly how I was gonna structure the live session. So I did a survey with all the uh, pre-buyers and I said, are you looking to A, like kind of network? Are you looking B, to ask me a bunch of questions or C, you know, get the material, like, you know, learn the material live. And like, I think 80% said actually the third, just learn the material. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, so this really is an outlet where people are like, look, I don't have time to read the book. So like, please just teach me. So that's really what it's been. I create slides for each chapter. Obviously it can't go as in depth as the book, but it, it goes over all the important things. And then, yeah, it just allows people throughout to ask me questions um, for me to get more specific in certain areas and address those questions. Um, but that was really the reason that I started the live sessions was just like, how do I get as many people who buy this thing to actually use this thing? And it has actually helped where I've had many people 
say like I haven't had a chance to read the book, but like these live sessions have been really helpful. Okay, last question. Are you going to try to get it published? Like actually published? Yeah. In, in like a, I haven't really considered that. I mean, maybe I think it's, it's amazing that we're in an era where I don't need to, right? Like I created it online. I sold it on Gumroad and anyone in the world that wants access to it can have access to it. So I, at the moment, that's not really a goal of mine, um, maybe, but probably not, honestly, where again, if anyone wants the product, they can access it, right? I did have a couple people ask if I would have some sort of like print version. And to me, that's just not a priority right now. There's a Kindle version if people want, um, you know, not to have to stare at their screen and stuff like that. I think one day I will actually write, I have plans to write like a more of a book book. I know that kind of sounds silly, but like, you know, more of, you know, like originals or some of the books that I've mentioned throughout this conversation where I'm really trying to make one concrete point versus this ended up being more like a guide, right? Like here's how to do this. Here's how to learn this. Um, I do have more of, you know, I have plans to create more of like, again, it sounds kind of silly, but a book book, in which case that one, if at some point I publish one of those, I probably would kind of get a proper publisher and stuff like that. But for this, I think it'll, it'll stay online. That's really cool. I respect that. My brain can't help but think like, how can I make this cooler? You know, <laughs> but there's something <laughs> yeah. like really uh, just simple and unique about, like I said, you're just really practicing what you preach and uh, it's perfect. So uh, yeah, I think just on that quick note, I've had many people ask me like, are you going to create like a paid newsletter off of this? Are you going to create like a backend course, right? That costs like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I think if I was purely maximizing for just like, kind of like you're saying where it's like, you know, you could squeeze more out of this type thing, um, then I would do those things. But I'm kind of alluding back to actually like our, uh, the beginning of this conversation where it's like right now, all of these side projects are things that like I want to do, right? Like I'm following my curiosity. I enjoy doing them and I want to really restrict myself from going down the path of like just trying to optimize around money, right? Or like what I can get out of these things from that perspective. Sorry, train. But yeah, so that's why I'm... I'm always the one like, I'm so sorry about that fire engine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this train goes by actually super frequently. So I feel like every podcast I do has that in the background. (laughs) But um, anyway, yeah, just to, it's kind of interesting how we went actually back to like one of the original topics we were talking about where um, at the moment, I'm more just focused on like what excites me to actually create because I've got I'm getting paid with my normal job. And so I'm trying to optimize around that, right? Like what, what am I excited about versus what can I kind of milk out of this? Yeah. So cool. Congratulations once Thank again you. on all the success. I know that you worked really hard. I'm happy just to see good old fashioned writing is like still cool. Um, I think it will always <laughs> be cool. You know, I think it will yeah. be the thing that remains important and, uh, and great. Okay. So stephsmith.io um i don't know your twitter what is it it's just stephsmith.io kind of silly name but Uh, there's so many stephsmiths in the world so (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's a good point uh okay and all of that will be linked in the show notes of timstods.com and also in the itunes and the and the spotify and everywhere they actually get the podcast steph it was great talking to you seriously thank you so much for your time yeah it was a blast and we'll do it again yeah sounds good thanks tim See ya.
Hey guys, it's me. It's Tim. One last time before we wrap up, just wanted to say thank you for tuning into the podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes. Please leave me an honest rating. Please follow me on Spotify. It's the best thing you can do to support the show. If you want to find out more, go to timstods.com. Feel free to fill out the contact form to reach out to me personally. I always respond. I appreciate you guys so much. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.